What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to another edition of Be Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Saturday, April 22nd, 2023. And the reason it's the early morning hours this time, after a Friday night loss in Seattle for the Cardinals, is not because I dilly-dallied and waited until after midnight to begin recording. No, it's really that I didn't have much other choice, as the Cardinals game uh, just recently wrapped up within the last half an hour or so. As it started at 9:10 Central, and yeah, it's going to be a lot of those over the next nine or ten days with the West Coast swing well underway now. But we'll still have B-shaped daily, and you'll still be able to listen each morning. That's the name of the game. Didn't have an episode on Thursday, just simply because, well, a couple of reasons. One, there was no Cardinals game to break down, and I did record a podcast on Thursday. I, it just did not land on the B-shaped daily feed. Something new I'm going to begin to do more of, uh, some bonus podcasts. And a lot of times, the B-Shape Daily will still happen daily, but on a Cardinals off day, it's maybe a chance to rest from the full podcast on occasion. If there's news and there are things we need to talk about, we'll still have a show. But that was not the case Thursday, because the one thing I really wanted to talk about, which was the Madison Bumgarner situation, he was DFA'd by Arizona earlier this week after the Cardinals took him out behind the woodshed on Wednesday in that 14-5 to win. And so I did a little bit of a conversation about that and some other odds and ends about the Cardinals uh, for my Patreon. Patreon.com slash bshafer12. Uh, a couple new people signed up once I posted that podcast. If you are a avid podcast listener, you listen to Shaped Daily all the time and you love it, this will be something extra for you to uh, maybe incentivize to support the show on Patreon because the bonus podcast will only land on Patreon. So it'll be some extra content that you get uh, for doing me a solid and supporting what we do over there. And it's really what we do over here and everywhere else uh, that you'll be supporting as well. The Spotify, the Apple Podcasts, the YouTube. It's all my content. Uh, and this is just uh, kind of that next step. If you want to take it, you're at least going to get something for it now with some bonus podcasts. I, I've been meaning to really ramp up the Patreon more. Um, now's the time to do that. And so uh, if you've got Patreon podcast ideas too, where you say, hey, this might not be suitable for an hour-long B-Shape Daily or something, but I want to know about this topic. Might be something that lands on the Patreon, because for those who are supporting a little extra, I want to be able to like provide value to you beyond just you listening to this show. So that's the name of the game. That's the plan over there. Check it out once more, patreon.com slash bshafer12. But that's why no show Wednesday, or sorry, uh, Thursday, there was no show, because we did a bonus podcast over on Patreon. No show Friday, because uh, the Cardinals game hadn't, really ended uh, until the very bitter end of Friday. And bitter it was, as the Cardinals once again couldn't win the series opener. They have not won a series opener all year, and they drop in this one to an 8-12 and record. And, yeah, that's not great. The Brewers lost, at least. The Pirates kept rolling. The Pirates are like 14-7 and at this point. It's the Cardinals and the Reds just sitting down in the basement. The Cubs even won against the Dodgers on Friday because they nearly had a perfect game by Drew Smiley. So, yeah, the sky is sort of falling a little bit when it comes to the Cardinals and their standing uh, within the NL Central as they drop it 5-2 to two out in the Pacific Northwest to Seattle, who, like, that's another team that has not started the season well. And so, probably right to be frustrated if you're a Cardinals fan right now with the way things are going. Like, it's not like you're going out there and playing against a team that's been red hot. Like, the Diamondbacks have been a pretty hot team, and so they take two of three from you. It's a bummer, but you go, well, at least they're playing well. The Mariners haven't really been playing well. They just got swept by the Brewers, which maybe is a credit to the Brewers, but nevertheless, 
both teams came into this game with an eight and eleven record, and uh, the Mariners now nine and eleven, getting a little closer to five hundred. The Cardinals heading the other way at eight and twelve as they lose the Stephen Matz game of this series, and they go up against a pretty good pitcher in George Kirby. We'll talk about his impact on at least one of the Cardinals because uh, we saw something interesting from Tommy Edmond after we talked about wondering if maybe he would consider giving up switch hitting to uh, take advantage of the success he's had from the right side of the plate. We saw something a little bit interesting on Friday night, but I'll explain why that's maybe a one-off situation and not something that I expect is going to continue regularly for Tommy Edmond. We'll talk about that a little bit on tonight's B-Shape Daily as well as the Mats, the Mats outing. He threw the ball well, but then sort of hit a wall there uh, in the sixth inning. Jordan Walker, he had a good swing against George Kirby that we want to mention. We, I mean, Jordan Walker's been going through it a little bit, and so good to see him able to do something tonight offensively. But the rest of the offense was, I mean, it was kind of an ugly game. It's one of those where are you going to tip your cap to a good pitcher in George Kirby, or do we have concern over this offense? Uh, kind of going back to their old ways of, well, you scored 14 one day, and then the next time you play, you get held to two, which I think that was the prediction I gave on the big show this afternoon. I got to go back and check that, but I think I said 5-2. Man, I'm smart. Yeah, I didn't think the Cardinals would have, I, I, I joke, but I didn't think the Cardinals would have the win today. I didn't think it would go their direction. I thought Steven Matz would be about what he was. I just thought maybe he would be a little less efficient so they'd take him out sooner to try to get aggressive with it. But it's a shame that the Cardinals were able to jump out first take the lead, and then you kind of squander it and don't do anything offensively outside of the Jordan Walker hit that drove in a couple of runs early in the game. That's what really hurts about it. It wasn't like you you just were bested by the, the Mariners throughout the game. You had them. You had a two-run lead. They spotted you two pretty early, and you weren't able to sustain that or take advantage of it. So we'll talk about the game, and we'll also talk about Paul DeYoung because that, that guy is a hot topic on Twitter. Is he had a, a nice day for Memphis wrapping up his rehab assignment. It's going to be soon. It's going to have to be soon that they'll make a decision on him with, uh, I don't know the exact day, but the 20-day the maximum of your rehab that you have as a position player in the minors, it's coming too, and the move the move should be forthcoming to have Paul DeYoung rejoin the team. I assume it'll happen on this road trip. And we'll talk about why that's fine, why that's not the the end of the world, the uh, the, the, the major impediment that a lot of Cardinals fans are kind of chicken littling about to say that, oh, Paul DeYoung's, you know, he's going to take at bats from the good players on the team. No, he's not. I'll explain why that is and in, in the role that I expect for Paul DeYoung tonight on B-Shape Daily. Make sure you're subscribed on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and we'll also put this one on YouTube if you want to listen over on YouTube. YouTube.com slash at B-Shaper12 is the way to subscribe to the YouTube channel. And make sure to like every every stream on there. Make sure to rate and review on your audio podcasting apps like Spotify and Apple. And uh, we'll have a little fun with B-Shape Daily this summer. As long as the dang team can have some fun itself, I don't know how much fun we'll have if it's a 70 win and 92 loss season for the Cardinals. I still don't think that's going to happen. I still don't think it's going to be that kind of year, but it won't be early forever, right? We say, oh, it's still early. It won't be early forever. We won't be able to say it's still early in mid-May. I said give him that six-week mark. And if things still look really rough, then we might have some problems. But for now, I don't know that I'm freaking out. I and, and people may not like to hear that. But again, we're just two days removed from them playing a great game, winning 14-5. to But I thought it was interesting tonight. Derek Gould, uh, I'm obviously not out in Seattle, but Derek is uh, on the beat there with the uh, St. Louis Post-Dispatch. 
and I watched the uh, the the Ali Marmel post game interviews from his office out there in Seattle, and Derek asked the question about the series openers and the fact that the Cardinals have not been able to win any this year, and whether that's a, a source of consternation, what he thinks about it, and he basically said that's not something that they look at. He's he's not worried about it. He said, we kind of did this on the road last year as well, and we still won the division by a bunch of games. And so it's not really something, a stat that he's monitoring and in that clubhouse. They don't really, he said, Ollie said they don't even know about it. Well, I guarantee you guys like Paul Goldschmidt don't know about it because he, uh, Paul Goldschmidt is a guy that, I forget if this was last year or maybe 2021, but we were in the clubhouse after a game and it was the last day of a month, whatever month it was. If, let's say it was the last day of May. And uh, the Cardinals had been going through a little bit of a struggle. And one reporter asked him and said, hey, so you got the win today. And tomorrow's a, you know, tomorrow's June 1st. Yeah. Is that, is that something turning the calendar? Can that kind of get you guys turning over a new leaf? Just good timing there. And he said, I didn't know. I didn't know the date. Tomorrow's June. All right. First time hearing of it. Like the dude is a robot. We joke about him being a baseball playing robot, but it's, it's true when he's in game mode, like in the season, he doesn't, he, a lot of these little details that we think we fixate on media fixates on fans fixate upon Guys like Paul Goldsmith, they really don't. And like you sometimes hear different guys say things, you go, okay, they're they're just saying that. They're just saying they don't pay attention to X, Y, or Z, and they don't get caught up in those details because that's what they think we want to hear as fans or media. No, it's not just a it's not just a gimmick with guys like Paul Goldsmith. But I imagine that some of the people in the clubhouse are aware of the struggles that have had that, that this team has had on the first games of series. They haven't won one, and we're going to be through pretty much a month here before long. If they don't win their their first game in the next series, that is going to be about a month. And so they could go the first month of the season without being able to accomplish that. How could it end up being fine? Sure, but I, I like I forget who tweeted this to me today, but it makes a lot of sense because you look at it and go, all right, how do you have a successful record in a season? Well, you you win series. And Tony Larusa, it's so interesting to to think about the differences. All he talks about, and he's been asked about it a lot. It doesn't matter to win the series. He goes, man, eh, not really. We just want to win all the games, and so we want to win more games than we lose. And yes, obviously, winning series is a path to that, but we don't really care if it's, you know, you sweep one series, you split the other one. It doesn't matter as long as the total wins are there. That's kind of the way Ali Marmel looks at it day by day. But Tony Larusa, man, Hall of Fame manager, say what you will about some of the tactics he might have had with the White Sox last year that maybe he was, uh, you know, a little over the hill in terms of his his aptitude. Although I still think you want to be careful taking it too far with that because Tony La Russa has forgotten more about baseball than I'll ever know. However, Tony La Russa always had it as a focus to win the series. Like, that was something that mattered to him because he knew the math of it. He would say that, and, and I think this was the 2011 World Series book, that was written, I want to say Rick Hummel co-wrote that book or was the writer of that book through the lens of Tony La Russa. And I remember reading that book, him talking about just the value of winning these series and how important it was and how it was something that they looked at because he knew the math of it. You win more series, and this was kind of the gist of the tweet that I was sent tonight. You win more series, win more games, you win the first game of a series, you have a chance to win more series. And that's the math of it. And it's true. And I do, so I do think it matters. Um, but again, if you lose the first game, as long as you win the other two, that's great. 
but like mathematically, if you're spotting them a game every series, you're not. It's very rare that you're going to be able to to get where you want to go. And Ollie says, "Well, we did it on the road last year. Sure, but you've done it at home too this year. Like you don't have one so far. So that's a. I think it is a concern personally. I I do think there is something to it, whether it's a road trip or whether it's just kind of getting acclimated to a new team at home." You're facing a team for the first time. You got to be able to to jump on them and set the tone for a series. Like I, I do think those things matter, and and momentum is only as good as your next day's starting pitcher, whatever the adage is. But I, I still think if you're just doing the math on these things, it's easy to see why it matters. But all he says is not what they're looking at. I get it. He's a bottom line guy, and bottom line is they want to win more games than they lose. But it is a trend that fans are going to keep talking about and media is going to keep talking about, and rightfully so. I don't think it's wrong to ask him about it. I don't think it's wrong to talk about it because it's a it's an aspect of this team at this point that is glaring, and it's something that I think they are going to have to come around on eventually. Like, you're not going to win the division if you don't win the first game of series. Like, how many series do you have throughout the year? 54? Whatever it is. You can't spot 54 games of the season. Like, let's... Let's state the obvious there. So something the Cardinals, I think, are going to have to work out. But like I said, I predicted five to two Mariners on the radio today because I thought they would they would have it. Uh, they would they would be up against it today if you're the Cardinals. George Kirby is a really tough young pitcher, right-hander. And the Cardinals are typically better against lefties. We talk about Wednesday. But they can still, I mean, they can still hit certain right-handers. But I just thought, man, Kirby's going to be a tough customer for them. And he was. And I even though I thought you might get a better Steven Matz start, which I think for the most part you did, you know, what's the ceiling on that? What is the ceiling of a good Steven Matz start at this point? And uh, I guess we were close to finding out because if you have a clean sixth there and you go six innings, give up a couple of runs like he was on track to do, I think he went into the sixth inning with like 78 pitches or so. So he was in a good spot. And then once again, the Cardinals have a start that's going along okay. And then you have the one inning that tanks it. And it was the sixth inning where the the Mariners scored three more runs. Two of them are charged to Mats, who left the game after a, he, the one walk he was really upset with. And then he he throws ball four on a 3-2 count and shows a, a pretty demonstrative reaction on the mound. Not complaining about the call of ball four because it was way gone. It was way outside. but But still kind of reacting to the previous call that he did not get, which was in the strike zone. But he, first of all, I saw a lot of people blaming Wilson Contreras for different things tonight about his defensive aptitude and things of that nature. I think that's, I think you're overblowing it. I think Cardinals fans tend to do that, but I, I get it. There's frustration. But when I look at that play in particular, I'm not really going to blame Contreras. He didn't really set a target on it, which I guess is, you know, can that have an impact on the umpire? Because if a guy throws it to a spot and you're not really holding out the target very clearly, and then you shift your glove a ton at the end. The umpire kind of goes, well, he missed his spot, so I'm not going to reward that as a strike. I think there's something to that. We don't have the robot umpires yet, and so you got to be able to frame things. But that's not even like, I wouldn't even call that framing. That's just like you have to receive the pitch. But Contreras was set up way inside, and like I said, wasn't a great target, but looked like low and in is where they were looking for that pitch, and it was up at the top of the zone. And so when you miss location by the degree to which Matt's did, you probably aren't getting that call. And I don't, like I said, I, some people may have viewed that as a Contreras issue. I viewed it as more of a Matt's issue. He just missed his spot and didn't get rewarded, even though the pitch was thrown at the top of the zone. And 
Well, a lot of the things I've seen this year in umpiring I, I don't like in terms of balls and strikes. That's not really one that I mind too much. Like, I'm okay with maybe missing a call that's like technically the robots would have gotten it. If it's a situation like that where the pitcher didn't really execute his pitch and earn it. And like, if it's a strike, it's a strike, it's a strike. I get it. There are, there are those people who feel that way. And I mostly feel that way. But that was, I don't know, I thought that was pretty egregious where it's like, well, no no kidding, you didn't get the strike call. It was at the top of the zone and your catcher was set up low and in. You might have missed your spot by 36 inches. I mean, it it sucks, but it wasn't, you know, sometimes they're not going to give you that high strike when your catcher is set up low and in. And so it didn't, let's say it didn't surprise me. It's, it's a bummer and it's a bad beat, but it didn't necessarily surprise me that they didn't get that call. And then Matt gets pulled from the game. Drew Verhagen, uh, probably his roughest outing of the year. Um, but he had to come in with a difficult situation, ends up allowing the two inherited runners to score, and then one of his own comes around to score as well, one of his own base runners. He gives up a couple of hits there in that inning, had at, le- at least one wild pitch. I think now there were two. Yeah, he had two in the same inning, which, yeah. I mean, he just wasn't sharp tonight. Had a strikeout, but he wasn't sharp. I don't think that's an in- indictment on his whole season. He should be able to bounce back from that. But that was kind of where things went off the rails for the Cardinals. And Matt's had looked so good. I mean, he was solid. He was missing bats, had seven strikeouts. He gave up the home run. But otherwise, I mean, he looked pretty good. He was, he was like I said, well on his way to a six-inning outing, allowing two runs. And you would take that, man, for the first game of a series. But things got away from him there in the seventh inning. And uh, the, the walk that maybe shouldn't have been a walk, it proved critical. And once again, the Cardinals are on the, the wrong side of a call, the wrong side of a bounce, the wrong side of a batted ball, the wrong side of – you get the gist. Like, it's been that kind of start to the season for St. Louis, and, uh, well, it continued tonight. So, Stephen Matz, I don't know. Like, it was a good outing, but it's another one of those outings where you go, okay, five and a third innings, four and runs, that ain't going to do it. I mean, the ERA is six and a half still, 6.55. I like the seven strikeouts. It's He's probably your number four starter, right? And when Wainwright comes back, Maybe you're number five at that point. And, and he has been fifth in the rotation, but I just I'm I'm always thinking, okay, when you have a playoff rotation, what are you looking at? Who are you looking at? And right now you're not looking Matz's direction. I feel like he's close to where he could get to that point, but he does still give up a decent bit of hard contact per game and, and gave up a homer tonight as well. So like the Cardinals need him to be better, be be what he was tonight for the first five innings and uh and then they need him and everybody else. It's not exclusive to Steven Matz, but they need them all to be able to have those good five innings and then go a little deeper. Teoscar Hernandez got the home run in the fourth inning against Matz. It is what it is, man. I mean, the, the rotation, the, the problems are what they are. It's not new. We know about it. But he's being paid $11 million this year and then uh, run it back two more times the next two years. So Matz, I don't... Like he's the one guy that I think you could see replaced by a July if he's still, you know, sporting a six point five five ERA by then. Then it's a different conversation. But for right now, it's like he's getting paid to be in there, and who's really jumping up to take his spot? Maybe nobody. We 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 liked what we saw from Libertor there for a while, but he's he got roughed up a little bit in his last outing. Um, Dakota Hudson had been pitching a little better, but he's now on the injured list in the minor leagues. I don't know if a reason for that was ever disclosed. But Dakota Hudson, you know, I don't think he's physically ready to to hop right in. Interestingly enough, 
uh, James Nail. You remember him? He came up as a reliever last year, the the local kid from uh, Cape Girardeau area. He's now in the Memphis rotation. He pitched pretty good tonight. We'll talk about the Memphis game a little bit when we get into Paul DeYoung, but James Nail, five innings, two runs, and he's got a 1.84 ERA. I, I like that they put him back in the rotation. I don't know that he's a guy that's ever going to get a crack at the, the big league rotation, but uh, he's given some valuable innings down there in Memphis right now, so good good for James Nail. I hope he gets another shot in St. Louis. You know, he, 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 was a, he was a guy who battled, but you probably don't see the stuff as being like long-term, going to be a fixture, but it's it's a good story. And so I appreciate that. I, and I'll root for James now, for sure. But let's talk about the rest of the offense. What's going on, man? It's one of those things where I get it. It's going to be frustrating to see only three hits tonight, first game of a series, game after you score 14. This is, and I'll t- and I try to be honest about it. Sometimes it's, man, the offense needed to do better. You faced Vince Velasquez and you didn't get the job done. That's not, that's not really how I feel tonight. George Kirby, like I said, coming in, I thought it would be a, a struggle. You'd like to see more than three hits. They're honestly lucky to have scored two runs when you consider the just the, the dormant nature of the offense. That's just a timely hit by Jordan Walker to take advantage when you had two guys on base on second and third, I think they were, and he doubles uh, over the head of the right fielder going the opposite way, going backside, as they call it. So good for Jordan Walker to see. He did strike out a couple of times, but he gets a hit. Burleson got a hit. Arenado got a hit. That's it. Nobody else with a hit tonight for the Cardinals. So there's there are layers to it for me. Like, yes, you tip your cap. I expected it to be a tough game offensively, and if they were going to win it, they would have needed Mats to go six innings and give up only two runs, and then they would have needed a lights-out performance from the bullpen, which after Verhagen, you got a solid performance from the bullpen. JoJo Romero had to pitch around a little bit of damage little trouble there in his inning. And then uh, Chris Stratton had a, uh, a, a, a little damage as well, just a walk for against both of those guys. But uh, they were able to get it done. And Stratton's looked pretty good. 3.09 ERA, had two strikeouts tonight. But they would have needed like a very, very close 3-2 to two win. I think it was, uh, it was, it was locked in to be a low-scoring game tonight if the Cardinals were going to have a chance. You, Matt, Matt's could have gotten shelled, and it would have been very much not a low-scoring game. But... Ultimately, he did pretty well, not well enough, and certainly not well enough to give the Cardinals a chance to win with three hits. So the offense has got to be better. I don't know if that's going to come tomorrow. Saturday is Luis Castillo that they face. The The bad news is he's been very, very good this year. The good news is the Cardinals actually do have some guys that have seen him and hit him well in the past, including Arenado. Goldschmidt's got a good slug against him career-wise. And uh, Wilson Contreras uh, obviously faced Castillo for years in the uh, – NL Central, he was with the Cubs, and Castillo a long time with the Reds. And uh, Wilson's like 8 for 17 with a couple of doubles and a homer or something like that. So he's been pretty good against Castillo. The Cardinals are going to need their big guns tomorrow to to lead the charge, I think is going to be the case if they're going to beat Castillo, who has been nasty so far this year for the M's. Another Cardinal who has good numbers in terms of batting average against Castillo is Tommy Edmond, who's 9 for 29 for his career but that's with seven singles and only a couple of extra base hits, two doubles and two walks. So he's hitting 310 against him on bases, 355. That's great, but just a 379 slug. Uh, but still, that's an OPS, you know, 740 or so. So not bad. But will Tommy Edmond be facing Luis Castillo batting left-handed, as you would assume? He's a switch hitter, typically uh, against right-handed pitching, going to be from the left side. Or will he bat right-handed facing the right-handed thrower the way that he did tonight? 
It was interesting to see this from Tommy Edmond, but he did bat right-handed against George Kirby tonight, the right-handed starting pitcher from the Mariners. And this is intriguing because we just talked about it, right? The notion that Tommy Edmonds, first of all, his numbers are so much better from the right side, but he looks more comfortable from the right side too. And typically you go, well, is it the chicken or the egg? Are we talking about better numbers from the right side because he's facing left-handed pitching when he's doing that? And that's just the advantage that he has over lefties. He kills lefties. We know that. Or is it something about his comfort from the right side that just feels more natural, feels more uh, effective, has more power, all of the above? Like, what is it? And would he continue, or I should say, would he consider dropping the switch hitting and just going full-time from the right side? Because he has struggled against right-handed pitching. And you typically would say, well, take the advantage and bat left-handed. That's the value of being a switch hitter. But... Same thing with Dylan Carlson that we've talked about. When his numbers are so lopsided to one direction, maybe it would make sense to go go at it the other way. Now, Tommy Evans tonight did not get any base hits, and so maybe that, that would be a reason to drop it. He went 0 for 3, but I think he was going to drop it anyway. This is something that Tommy Eben has done before. People may not remember this, but a couple of different times over the course of his career, he's done it. It's always specifically for a matchup reason. And I figured before I even looked, I said, I bet George Kirby is a reverse splits guy. And you go and look, sure enough, over the course of his MLB career before tonight, the splits bear that out against left-handed batters, which you'd think, oh, a right-handed pitcher should struggle against lefties. He actually has very good numbers against left-handed batters, a 577 OPS, which is interesting because Making out the lineup, the Cardinals, Ali Marmel, made out the lineup as though they were facing a right-handed pitcher. All the typical signs were there. Brandon Donovan at the top. You've got Alec Burleson in the lineup and batting second. Jordan Walker way down at the bottom for the right on right. Nolan Gorman was in the lineup. Everything about this lineup was the typical lineup against a right-handed pitcher. But really, with the reverse splits, you maybe should have had a lineup that was more conducive to as though you were facing a lefty. Stack it with as many right-handed bats as possible. I don't know if Ollie was asked about why he didn't do that or whether he considered doing that, but I think it's an interesting aspect because Tommy Edmond was clearly aware of the splits, and I think he's making the decision on his own. I don't think the team is saying, hey, you need to bat right-handed against this guy because he's got a career 827 OPS against him from right-handed batters. 827, that's an all-star caliber hitter for right-handed batters against George Kirby so far in his pretty young, albeit MLB career, and then, as I mentioned, 577, I believe, was the number for left-handed batters. So that's a drastic difference, and one that I think Tommy Edmond was trying to take advantage of tonight. It was in, in vain. It didn't end up working out with the 0 for 3. But I, I bring this up because I know it was a topic on Twitter. Is he going to do it? Is he going to drop switch hitting? My guess is, and I don't have any insight. I'm not there. I didn't get to ask him. My guess is no. He's not going to drop switch hitting. He's done this before sparingly, and this was another example of that because of the glaring reverse splits for the starting pitcher for Seattle tonight. Like I said, below 600 OPS for lefty batters. You've already struggled from the left side. Uh, I think he's something like 8 for 50, 9 for 50, whatever it is. And you have this opportunity from the right side where this guy's he's gotten beat by righties over the course of his career, actually. And so... Made sense to go for it. I think it's a one-off, though, and I'll bet he's he's back to the left side tomorrow against Castillo, if I had to guess. But I figured it would be something that people were talking about, so 
I wanted to kind of address that. And I also want to address the other topic, not from the game, but certainly one that social media was was a buzz about. And that's Paul DeYoung. Yes, our old friend will be returning soon, if I had to guess, because he's on that rehab assignment. He's been there a while, and he just had a whale of a game on Friday night going three for four with, and I want to make sure I got this right, he goes. He gets a home run, a double, and a base hit. I believe he fell a triple short of the cycle, unlike Tommy Edmond on Wednesday, who was a single short of the cycle. That'll eat you up a little bit, I think. But Paul Neung, three for four, six RBIs, and a walk as well for good measure down with Memphis. His numbers there are fantastic. 353 average, an OPS over 1,000 at 1068 during his rehab assignment with the Memphis Redbirds. Now, this is nothing new for Paul DeYoung. I get it. Success at AAA does not automatically equate to success at the big league level. Fernando Tatis Jr. is back with the Padres, and he hit like a home run or two in every rehab game he played. It was ridiculous what he was doing down in AAA. And then he came back and was 0 for 5 the first day with the Padres. So, Fernando Tatis Jr. is is a much better player all around than Paul DeYoung. That difference is is notable, right? Like you're not just going to automatically waltz into a big league environment again just because you've been ripping it up in AAA and just continue on that pace. It, it can be done, but it's not automatic. And it's certainly not automatic for a guy like Paul Young, who, well, we've seen this from him before. So if you're skeptical about Paul Young and his return, that's fine. Here's the thing. If you're angsty about Paul Young and his return, I think that is a whiff. On your part, I think that I think that is misplaced angst, misplaced energy. Because Paul DeYoung is not going to, despite what some people told me on Twitter tonight, walk into this St. Louis clubhouse and start taking at bats away from Nolan Gorman or Brendan Donovan or Tommy Edmond. Not any more than the at bats that Taylor Motter has taken away from those players. That's the way I look at it, and in particular with Nolan Gorman. Not at all, and even Brendan Donovan to an extent. Because think about the times, like, Paul DeYoung will get into the lineup occasionally. It won't be that often, I don't think, unless he's thriving, in which case, yeah, they'll play him more, and they'll find room for him, the same as they do with the outfielders who who catch fire from time to time. they got to juggle it. But Paul DeYoung is coming on this roster, I believe, in Taylor Motter's spot, unless there's another injury or something happens, and it's no slight to Motter, but he's just kind of been keeping the seat warm a little bit. Um He's got good versatility, but, you know, he's kind of a journeyman type, and I feel like the upside is higher for Paul DeYoung on the roster than uh, Taylor Motter, but that's your 26th man. He's not stepping in to be your starting shortstop. So Cardinals fans are acting like, oh, Paul DeYoung's going to return, and it's going to ruin everything. I just don't see how that's possible, guys. Like, he plays a good shortstop defense. We've known that. And so you have him as a nice defensive option there to back up Tommy Eben, just for roster versatility, exactly what you want from the last guy on your bench, to be able to to play a, a good shortstop if, if needed. He can play second. He can play third. Okay, he's got the flexibility. I think they've moved him around a little bit, and he's, he's taking ground balls, going back to spring training at different spots, so he's fine. He can play those positions if called upon, the same as Taylor Motter, and is certainly going to be a, a more apt defensive shortstop than Motter. I think Motter is more comfortable at... He would probably be comfortable anywhere, but I think Motter is, is more suited for second or third base. And Paul DeYoung is a natural shortstop, so that's a that's a benefit. And 
I think the potential to see his bat revived is higher than what Mater could give you. Now, I'm not counting on it. Like I said, we've seen these things from Paul DeYoung before. I am massively skeptical that it's going to be different. And everybody say, well, he's going to hit 180, and then what? Well, he might. But if, if he's hitting 180 and on base percentaging 310 even, if he's taking some walks and then he's hitting some some homers and some doubles and he's maybe he's hitting 180, but he's got a slugging percentage of, I don't know, 450. I'm not saying that's just automatically going to happen, but that would be like you would take that from the last guy on your bench who can also play some good shortstop defense. Don't get it in your head that Paul DeYoung is going to come back and, and start stealing opportunities from players that you consider to be superior because I, I do not believe that is going to end up being the case. He's going to be playing as much as Taylor Motter did, maybe a little bit more because he's more of a presence on the roster, has has some some equity built in, has been on this team for a long time. He's got to be one of the most longest tenured Cardinals, I would think. Obviously, Adam Wainwright, but beyond that, who's who is there? Who's been around since 2017? Not many, guys. I'm taking a look at it here now, and it's Adam Wainwright, Jack Flaherty, and Paul DeYoung. I think those are the only three. Kind of crazy to think about that, but yeah, he's got some more equity built up on this roster, and so he might play a little more than than the the non-roster invitee that they invited to spring training camp, and he cracked the roster. But that's okay. It's not going to be, again, he's not going to be taking at-bats from Nolan Gorman, who's going to DH against right-handed pitching. Paul Young is going to play against lefties, if anything. And he's not going to take those at-bats away from Tommy Edmond because Tommy Edmond is damn sure going to play against lefties because he crushes them and and sucks the soul out of their bodies. Like, that's what Tommy Edmond does against lefties. So the, they're not going to sit Tommy Edmond in the spots that you're likely to see Paul DeYoung. Now, Brennan Donovan, maybe he loses some opportunities to Paul DeYoung, but that's that's only if he's not hitting. Like, if Brennan Donovan, he's kind of been struggling at the plate. If he keeps struggling at the plate a little bit, 0 for 4 tonight with a couple of strikeouts, then, and if Paul DeYoung is thriving, like if he's giving you a little juice at the plate, then that's a situation where maybe that would be the one spot I would say, all right, you're right. Brendan Donovan could lose a little bit of opportunity. Cardinals don't mind him against lefties, but if they've got a guy who can play second base and hit lefties well, they might consider that at that point. 699, the OPS for Donovan. I think he'll he'll continue to, to go up from there, but it's been a little bit of a, a sluggish stretch recently. But otherwise, like, no, it's not like the sky is falling and Paul DeYoung is coming to take everybody's jobs and be bad at his job while he's doing it. Like, he might struggle again. And if he does, by June or July, he, he probably won't be on the team anymore by then. This is this is kind of the last go-around, the last chance to prove it. But he, he doesn't need to do a lot to justify his spot on the team because I don't think they're just going to thrust him right back into the lineup on a regular basis. You're not going to see a ton of him unless there are injuries. How much of how much have you noticed Taylor Motter over the last couple of weeks? I think they're going to be a very similar role with the young getting a, a veteran bump to that role, but it's not going to be it's going to be a small one. Is is kind of the way I see it. He could play some second base against lefties if he's if he shows to be seeing the ball well against lefties. That's the one change you might see. It's a small part of the roster. I wouldn't sweat it. And hey, maybe he does well and. Makes some Cardinals fans eat their words about him. Although I understand why frustration over DeYoung has uh, persisted over the years. Believe me, he's struggled. 
but he knows that, and uh, he'll get one more shot now, I think, to make good on it. So we'll see what he's able to do. And as I'm looking over this Memphis box score, by the way, uh, Mason Wynn, he had a nice night, two for four tonight with a run scored and a walk, but the average is just 222, and the OPS in AAA just 605. So maybe okay that they didn't bring him up to begin the season. I still believe that he will find it and be a good offensive player, not only at Memphis, but eventually in St. Louis. But like, there's no, well, they got to trade this guy to make room for Mason Wynn. They got to, everything's good. Everything's good right now. I think the development is going to happen on the path that it is supposed to. And, uh, you know, the Cardinals will be able to react accordingly to what they see throughout their system and at their big league level. But that is going to do it for this edition of B-Shape Daily. Appreciate you guys for listening, even after a loss. I'm going to keep talking whether they win or lose, so it'll be good to have you guys along. And if you want to chime in with some comments and and, and be a little upset about that, that's okay. There used to be the uh, the voicemail function on here, but uh, you've been hearing the ads for the show, and I appreciate you guys for listening to the ads. That's the one way I do make a little bit of money off this um, for Spotify for podcasters, which if you want to do a podcast, I do recommend it. They make it pretty simple. But used to be that on anchor you could uh leave a listener voicemail but i'll have to i'll have to dig around on that if anybody knows how to still do that let me know but otherwise i can find out and and publicize it on the next episode but if you don't want to have your voice heard on the podcast that's okay too just send me a message on twitter at bshafer12 uh proud and unverified and uh we're we're always available over there and patreon's another way to send me messages too because i am uh, especially responsive over there appreciate y'all for uh for doing that. All right, that's going to do it for this show. We'll see what they're able to do against Luis Castillo on Saturday. Miles Michaelis will get the ball for the Cardinals. I think he's going to pitch well. I think you're going to get another pitching duel, but the Cardinals could sneaky go yard against Luis Castillo. Like they might they might sneaky do like they're probably going to be underdogs in the game because everybody's looking at Castillo and how good he's been. The Cardinals could the Cardinals could have one of those kind of eruptions win something like 8 to 3 or something tomorrow. That's kind of my sneaky vibe about the game. But we'll see if it's right, and then we'll talk about it afterwards right here on B-Shape Daily. Thank you guys so much for joining. We'll talk to you next time. Peace.